Okay, if you're on social media, uh, think of this for a second. Uh, have you ever felt that almost imperceptible rush of adrenaline when you turn on the social media? I mean, you're having a terrible day, and you've posted a photo or a comment, and people have liked it, and you get a rush? You actually release endorphins. I was reading about that this week, that social media is like a drug that releases endorphins, and because you're liked, you're very happy. Because you're liked, you're very happy. Now, this sermon is not about social media, but I started thinking when I read that article about how great it would be to look at Jesus' Facebook page. Uh, wouldn't that be interesting? If you looked at the top where it says about the person, you know that uh, section. Under parents, what would it say? The son of Mary, the son of God. I mean, that makes a great page, doesn't it? I am the son of the everlasting father. I've come down from heaven to save, the sin, save my people from sin, and I will rise again in glory. Pretty good. Under relationships, what would he have? Married, right? Jesus wasn't married. Yeah, he was. I'm the bridegroom of the church. I gave my life to wash her free and present her before the Father, holy and unblemished from their sins. And I'm coming back for her, to take her to where I am, so that where I am, she may be also pretty good. Under work and education, what would he have? Teaching, preaching, prophecy, casting out demons, healing the sick, forgiving sinners. All the work that my Father has called me to do because I'm drawing the whole world to myself. Pretty good Facebook page. His life statement, what would that be? I am the way and the truth and the life, and no one comes to the Father except by me. All great until you scroll down to the comment section, and you would see zero likes. Zero likes. So the title of my sermon is today, Jesus the Man with No Likes. And so we're in chapter 6 of Mark's gospel, and I want you to see that. I want you to examine it with me, and please turn in your Bibles, whatever you have, because I want you to hear the word from God, not the word from Trip. And in verse 1, what we find is that Jesus has come back home to Nazareth, Nazareth, that podunk little backwater town. For whatever reason, they need a guest preacher. Uh, maybe Rabbi Kushner has taken his family on vacation this summer to the Mediterranean, uh, but they've heard about Jesus being away and doing all these great things, and they want the homeboy to preach, the homeboy. They had no idea what they were asking that day. Look at verse 2. And on the Sabbath, Jesus began to teach in their synagogues, and many who heard him were astonished. Now, that word astonished means amazed, yes, means taken aback. But basically, they were horrified by his sermon that day. And we know this because they began to question him right at lunch, as some people still question the preacher after the service is done. Of course, y'all wouldn't do that, but they do. Look at what they say. Where did this man get all these things? What is the wisdom given to him? How can he do mighty works with his hands? Is not this the carpenter, Mary's son, and and we know all of his brothers and sisters, he's just common. He's nothing special. You know what they're saying, right? Jesus, you've come back full of yourself. Jesus, you think you're hot stuff, but we know you all too well. 
I remember wiping your snotty nose when you were seven years old, Jesus. I remember changing your diaper when you were just three months old, Jesus. Where did you get such things as these? And in verse 3, don't miss this. You're Mary's son. (laughs) They were questioning his paternity. You don't do that in the Jewish world. You're Joseph's son. But what they're saying is we don't even know who your daddy is because your mama was pregnant outside of wedlock. They discredit his moral authority. They discredit his his coming from God to do great things. And then in verse 8, what do they do? They took offense at him. They were offended. That word in Greek is scandalon. Same word from which we get scandalized. They were scandalized by Jesus, his own hometown. These people who knew him best were hostile, visceral reaction to both the person and the message of Jesus. They had a visceral reaction. They were hostile and offended. We don't know what was the content of that sermon that day, but John gives us a clue in his gospel. They said, is this not Jesus whose father and mother we know, who is now saying to us in his sermon, I have come down from heaven. Jesus is saying, I'm the son of God, come down from heaven. And they're offended because they're saying, no, you aren't. We know you too well. Jesus scandalized them because he was God. He told the truth about who he was and who they were and their need for a savior. You may remember in Mark chapter 3, when he's out on his preaching tour, his own family, his mother and brothers and sisters, go out to to grab him because they think he's crazy. And in 321, they say he is out of his mind. He thinks he's God. In the same chapter, both the Herodians, the Romans, and the Pharisees, the Jews. Now, these people never talk to one another, but they came together in a blood oath to kill Jesus because they were so offended by his message. And today, his own hometown crowd, the people who were closest to him, are scandalized by Jesus. Jesus had no likes. No likes. His pathway to salvation was offensive to the ancient world. He was an equal opportunity offender. Everybody needs saving, Jesus would say, and I'm the only savior come from God. And the whole world must come to me to be saved. That's offensive. Still today, we we wonder when Jesus says, I'm the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. We're offended. What about the, the Muslims? What about the Hindus? What about them? Jesus was an equal opportunity offender. He told us who he was, what he came to do, and the truth about ourselves. J.P. Meyer, the historian and scholar, said this, He said, what is beyond dispute is that in the ministry of two or three years, Jesus of Nazareth attracted and infuriated his contemporaries. There's no liking in that. He was mesmerized and alienated the entire ancient world and unleashed a movement that's been doing so ever since. And with that movement, he's changed the world. It's impossible, isn't it, to be hostile towards the message of Jesus? I mean, it is if you take Jesus, the kind of Jesus that we have in our world today. We've domesticated Jesus. We've thrown out those 
pesky little parts about submitting our whole lives to his lordship, of the demands that, that a loving Savior puts on our lives to follow him as disciples down that tough road. No, we want a Jesus that affirms us, and when we pray, he likes us. The best modern analogy I can give you is Barney. Remember Barney? Uh, we've reduced Jesus to Barney sometimes. A big stuffed figure that comes in and says, I love you, you love me, we're a happy family, with a great big hug and a kiss from me to you. Won't you say you love me too? Just like Jesus, just say you love him, you're, you're part of the family. No one takes offense at Barney, do they? Or if you're a little bit older, maybe you remember a guy named Mr. Rogers. No one was ever offended at Mr. Rogers, were they? I mean, he was maybe boring or weird, but nobody took offense at him. He was so benign and so very nice. And he said to us, you're precious just as you are. You don't need to change. Just come into my neighborhood. You're a friend. Everybody liked Mr. Rogers. And sometimes we reduce Jesus and Barney to Mr. Rogers, and we simply like him, but we don't love him. But here's the question. Who in the world ever wanted to kill Mr. Rogers? No one. No one wanted to string him up on a tree naked and cast lots for his blue sweater, the V-neck one, saying, I want to wear that. That's hot. I love that thing. <laughs> no, Jesus was crucified not for being liked, but because he was a polarizing figure. He said, either you're going to love me with all your heart and all your mind and all your soul, or you're going to hate me, or you're going to do what modern people do, you're going to change your message to fit the kind of God you want. You're going to like me, but not love me. He was crucified because he claimed to come from God, and he claimed to be the Lord of the world. Jesus had no likes. Look at verse 5. They were so scandalized and so lacking in their faith. Look at what happened. He could do no mighty works there except he laid a hands on a few sick people and healed them. And verse 6, Jesus marveled at their unbelief. Here's the deal, folks. As long as Jesus is your homeboy, the homeboy come home to preach a nice sermon about, you know, liking him on some level, and as long as he's not your Lord, he can do no great work among you. He can do no mighty work among them because they didn't recognize him as God. As long as he's a friend and not your beloved, as long as he's your pal and not your Lord, as long as he's liked and not loved, he can do no mighty work among you. Does that offend you? Well, good. It should. It, in fact, offense is the beginning of salvation. When people are offended by Jesus, it always leads to repentance and then to faith. And then it leads to life. And then it leads to salvation. And once he becomes Lord of your life, it leads to abundant life. And you enjoy this world so much more than you ever have. But it doesn't happen for those who are in the middle. Here's the deal. The same mothers and brothers, mother and brothers and sisters that tried to get Jesus and take him out because he was going crazy, guess where they are at the end of the story? They're amongst the 120 people on the day of Pentecost who are waiting for the Holy Spirit to come, and they are worshiping Jesus as Lord and Savior. You didn't do that in the Jewish world. No Jewish mama would worship her son. 
not as God anyway. No brother or sister would worship their brother or sister as God, but they did. What started out as offense, Jesus offending who they were then, became transformation as they placed their hand in the hand of the man from Galilee. Jesus came to tell the truth about us and about himself, and it's scandalous and it's confrontational. I love what C.S. Lewis did in, in the Chronicles of Narnia. He says there that, that Jesus is Aslan, the great lion, who died and rose again for his people. And in that story, some characters meet Aslan. It says this, Aslan is a lion, the lion, the great lion. A character named Susan says, ooh, I thought he was a man. Is he quite safe? I shall feel rather nervous about meeting a lion. Mr. Beaver says to Susan, safe? Who said anything about being safe? Cars, he isn't safe, but he's good. He's the king, I tell you. Now, Jesus doesn't want to be liked. He doesn't want to be safe. He wants to be worshipped and adored by those who come to him with all they have, with all they are, with their heart, mind, and soul. And maybe today you've been playing the middle ground. Maybe you've liked Jesus, but you hadn't loved him with your whole heart, mind, and soul. And maybe today is a day that you give yourself over to him, to his full lordship. Maybe you give him your marriage. Maybe you give him your relationship with your children. Uh, maybe you give him your business. Uh, maybe you give him your stewardship of the things of God. Maybe you allow him to be Lord over everything that you are and everything that you have. Because the people in the middle, here's the description, have been inoculated with a safe or mild form of Christianity such that they never get the real thing. If you grew up in the church... Maybe you've been inoculated with a mild form of Christianity and never experienced the real thing. Well, what did Jesus say? If you're there, then I can do no mighty works among you. There's not faith in me. There's no lordship there. The great Anglican scholar John Stott said this, If you read the Bible, you see no one ever responded to Jesus moderately. Every response to Jesus was extreme, one way or the other. When people heard what Jesus had to say, they either ran away from him in fear or turned on him and tried to kill him or they fell down and surrendered everything to him. But no one ever merely liked Jesus. He marveled at their unbelief, it says. C.S. Lewis, who grew up in the Church of England, was one of those inoculated Christians who came to Christ in 1932, submitted to the lordship of Jesus, and, and he gave us a challenge in his book, Mere Christianity. And it goes like this, and I'll leave you with, with these words. A man who was merely a man and said the sort of things that Jesus said about himself being, or sort of things Jesus said, would not be a moral teacher. If he said that he was God, he wouldn't be a moral teacher. He would either be a lunatic on the level of a guy who says he's a poached egg, remember they thought Jesus had gone crazy, or else he would be the devil of hell himself. You must make your choice. Either this man was and is the son of God, or he was a madman, or he was something worse. You can shut him up for a fool, you can spit on him and kill him as a demon, 
or you can fall down at his feet and call him Lord and call him God. Today we have a binary choice. It's not to like Jesus. It's to love him with all of our hearts as Savior of the world, as a man who gave his life for your sin, as the one you trust for salvation and that you commit yourself to following his Lord, or you hate him and reject him and don't like his message. But the one thing we can't do is domesticate him. In Revelation 3, Jesus says to the churches, I wish that you were either hot or cold, but you're lukewarm. Let's not respond to Jesus in a lukewarm way. He could do no mighty works among the lukewarm. If you're going to find true life, true abundant life, is if giving your whole self over to Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. And some of us, like me, I, you know, I'm a Christian, and I've walked this pathway a long way. Not forever. I was inoculated at one time, but, but then I came to full faith. And, and personally, even though I've accepted, there are parts of my life that I don't want Jesus to come into because he might mess it up. He might ask me to change, to, to really take those things and allow his light to shine in the darkness. Those are the things I need to give up. So Christians today, I want to give you an opportunity to come and give yourself and resubmit to Jesus. Uh, those who have been inoculated with a mild form of Christianity, give it all to Jesus. Those of you who've had intellectual stumbling blocks, like how can he be the way and the truth and the life? Give those up to Jesus. Come to him. We're going to have a prayer team up here today for the next few minutes. Um, any, any prayers you may have, submit, resubmit, come to him as Lord and Savior, whatever it may be, or just heal part of the darkness in your life. Uh, prayer teams are up here. You can also pray during communion. There will be prayer teams over there as normal. But I invite our prayer teams to come up. If you just want to pray in your seat, you can do that as well. But sometimes it helps to come forward and, and to make a profession and to step out for Jesus.